Uh, my name's Kelly, by the way, and if you're visiting with us, uh, it's so great to have you here this morning. Uh, we're a church that wants to make much of Jesus in everything that we do. When we sing together, when we gather, when we preach the Word of God, when we meet in life groups, when we barbecue, whatever we want to, uh, whenever we're gathered together, we want to make much of Jesus. And uh, we're going through the book of Nehemiah, and I've gone through this book as a church before. I've, I've preached through it, and uh, I've read through it many times, and you know, he... I don't know about you, I don't know if you're the, kind of the go-before kind of a person, the, the, the person who kind of cheats a little bit ahead of time, the, the overachiever, um, but if you are and you've been reading through this book, uh, you, I, you just can't help but fall in love with it, you know? You can't help, and I think this may be just for me because, you know, leading here at Southlands, uh, I'm like, man... God, please let our people get this. Let them see the richness of what this text has to offer. And I, you know, we've been saying, I, Mike helped us with last week, and the, the first week we started off just talking about how this is not just a, a, a story that happened thousands of years ago about a guy and a group of people, and then we just read it, and then we're like, oh, that's nice, that's cool, you know, uh, that's the Bible, so we're supposed to get more information. no. What we're supposed to do with this story is understand how this points us to ourselves, right? Uh, one, we know in the big picture that Scripture is a mirror. And uh, what we do is we, we walk up to Scripture as if it were a mirror, and we look in the mirror, and what it does is it points out the reality of who we are, and it shows us all our blemishes, and it shows us all our gifts and our talents, and it shows us the reality of our situation, um, and it also shows us the reality of who God is and our relationship toward God. But it, this morning, as we look at the, the book of Nehemiah, my encouragement to us as a church is to say, God, who have you called us to be as a people? Because this book really helps us understand that. And um, so we're going we're gonna to jump into chapter 2, a little bit of chapter 3 this morning. And... Um, if you read ahead in chapter three, there's just a ton of names. It's just like this guy did this and this guy did that and this guy, a bunch of names that's hard to pronounce. You know, it's just a Babashab and Bablablab and Lubadab, you know, all these kind of names that, that just are like whatever. Uh, and, but if we just kind of glance over that and kind of like what we did with Matthew, you know, the first chapter of Matthew, it'd be easy to just kind of skip over it because it's all these names in the lineage of Jesus, but it actually has huge implications for us. And the same thing with chapter three of Nehemiah, there's huge implications of what that means for us. All that to say is church, don't look at this as a story that happened a long time ago. I'm hoping that you'll put on lenses and, and, and maybe filters over your ears that will help us see what God wants us to see in the scripture and that this is a story about who we are as a people together. Um, and specifically, who we are as a church here in this locale in Southern California, in this small city called Chino, and what God has called us to do. So, you guys ready to jump into it this morning? All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read, we're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit. We're going to feel a little like taking this piece and this piece here and, and see how they all work together. But if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And uh, we're going to be reading from the ESV. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But this is what the word of the Lord says here. It says, this is Nehemiah. Then I said to them, speaking to the nation of Israel, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem 
that we may no longer suffer derision. Verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. Just hold on a second there. Remember how Mike talked about the providence of God, how Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, uh, Artaxerxes, try to spell that, and I'll give you $5. Don't look at your Bible. No, I won't. I'm not going to give you $5. That was a preacher was exaggeration. Just <laughs> myself in trouble right now. Uh, so Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king, and God puts it upon his heart to go to the king, and he asks for favor from the king, and lo and behold, what does God do? He provides favor to Nehemiah through the grace of Artaxerxes and gives him all this stuff to go rebuild the walls, and he gives him an army. And so Nehemiah is telling the people, listen, the providence of God is amazing. He's come through, and all these good things, the hand of God was upon me and upon the situation, and God has blessed it. Now look at this in verse 18. Uh, and I told them the hand of my God that had happened upon me for the good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Everyone here this morning, we're going to get a little like Pentecostal this morning. Are you right, right with that? You guys okay? Say, strengthen their hands for the good work. Can you say that together? Strengthen their hands for the good work. Maybe one more time. Strengthen their hands for the good work. Okay, so what does this phrase, strengthen their hands for the good work, mean? Does it, does it mean that they physically were like, man, we... We're, we're out of shape, you know? We're, we're, we're feeling a little weak in our hands. You know, I, I have this shoulder problem, and uh, uh, you're probably sick of me talking about this, but uh, I have this shoulder problem, and, and it's affecting my whole arm. It's affecting, like, the muscles. Everything's starting to get a little, you know, flabby, and it's atrophying because I'm not able to use my arm the way I am. And, and I even feel it in my hands. I went to the doctor, and he's like, okay, let's see what's going on. Grip my hands, and I'm trying to grip it, and he's like, oof you know? And he's like, push this way. And I'm like, oh, it hurts. You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, you got a big problem there, right? Um, thanks, doc. <laughs> it hurts when I do this. Don't do that, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but it, is, is the Bible saying that, you know, they were weak and they hadn't like worked out for a long time and so they had to go hit the gym? Not really. What it's talking about is a, an emotional or an all-in or a kind of a encouragement speaking one to themselves but also to the other. Uh, John Gill, I think it's up there, if you guys will put that uh, uh, quote from John Gill's exposition, it says, what it means to strengthen their hands is it's an animated and encouraged one another to proceed to it, building the, building, the building of the wall and the gates, at one with, uh, at one with cheerfulness, and to go on in it with a spirit and resolution. So this idea of them strengthening their hands was them saying, hey, we're all in. We're all in. If you, if you, that's a poker term. Don't, don't get mad at me this morning. But if you, if you play poker, if you've ever played poker, or if you've ever watched like a, a poker movie or Maverick or something like that, it's that point in the, in the game where the player thinks, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm putting all my chips because I'm, I'm betting everything on the hand that I have. And I know this is a winning hand, so I'm putting it all in. And the nation of Israel, what Nehemiah does, he says, look at the greatness of who God is, and they respond and they see God's providential hand, 
through Artaxerxes, right? And they're like, my goodness, we are going to strengthen our hands to this good work that God has called us to. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to step up. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to be cheerful. We're going to be, we're, we're going to say, hey man, I, I get it. You're, you're, right now you're feeling a little low. How can I encourage you, my brother? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that, you know, we can get even more Pentecostal this morning, right? You're the head, not the tail. Hallelujah. You're the front, not the back. All that kind of stuff. And what we're not trying to say is glib little sayings and, and try to, you know, cheat each other or, or um, manipulate one another uh, into encouragement. No, we're speaking actual truths of who God has called us to be. We, we're, we're called to strengthen our hands. What? Why? To the good work that God has given us. Now, right now when I say that good work, our minds can go to a different lot of places, right? But what this is, is it's a story of a community. It's a story of a nation. And for us, it's a story of a church. And there's a good work that God has called us to. This group of people right here at this time, sitting in this room for this very moment, living in the place where you live for this moment in time, there is a good work that God has called us to. My encouragement to us this morning is look at your hands spiritually, right? It's really look at your heart and say, are my hands weak or are they strong? Am I all in this morning or am I kind of like chilling out, waiting to see if this thing's going to go the way it should go and then maybe I'll throw my chips in? It really doesn't work that way. The way it works is, you know what a successful church is? A successful church is not a church that has a lot of numbers. A successful church isn't a, a church that has smog, uh, smog machines. That's, that's California. Fog machines or lasers or, you know, like a ton of followers on Instagram. A successful church is a church when they come together, they're one, one people to make much of Jesus every single time they gather. And there's no division. And friends, that's what God's called us to be. That's who we are. We're called to the good work. Now, what, what is, uh, well, here, here's an, let's jump into chapter uh, three. And now we're going to get into the, the part where you'd be like, why don't we just skip this, okay? But I'm telling you guys, this, you're going to see it, all right? You ready? You're going to see it. We're, so we're going we're gonna to read 12 verses of a bunch of names. And if I don't pronounce these right, please don't judge me, Okay. Because you probably wouldn't do any better. So, uh, so uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, it says then, this, then uh, Eliashib, Eliashib, yep, that guy, the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho, look at that, Jericho. Isn't that interesting? People from Jericho here in Jerusalem building. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emir, built. Verse 3, the sons of Hesanah, there's two A's, <laughs> built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the, that sounds like a Godzilla guy, like, sorry. I, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. 
and next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. But their nobles, oh, look at this in verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Verse 6, Jehoiada, the son of Paesh, and Meshulam, the son of Beshodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melathiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Moronathite, okay? The men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the providence beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Har. That guy, Goldsmith, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephahiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumpha, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of that guy, repaired. In verse 11, Malachiha, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Pahath Moab repaired another section and the tower of the ovens next to him. Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Look at this, he and his daughters. All right, so we could just keep going. All... I butchered that. If any of you speak Hebrew, you are like just... Um, why did I want to read that as, as like cringy as that was for you to hear me say all those wrong names, you know, and, and as awkward as it, that was, and you're like, oh my gosh, Kelly, like, do your homework better, like, learn how to read. Why did I read those names? Is because I want to prove out the point that all of the nation of Israel is doing a good work together, and if you were to continue reading through the chapter three, it's just continual names, and names, and where they were doing, what they were doing, and how they were building, and this person was building that. And the point is, friends, this morning, that we are all called to the good work. We are all called to the good work. I think I said this the first week in Nehemiah, but there's no such thing, there's no scenario in the Bible, a picture of the church or a nation where God does not require every single person to pitch. There's no picture in the Bible where God says, all right, there, you guys do this and the rest of you guys kind of like um, critique them and tell them what you like about what they're doing and what you don't like about what they're doing. There, there, that's not in the Bible. What you see here is in chapter three is that every single person is called to participate. Every single person is called to the good work. How? Well, we go back to point number one is strengthen their hands with cheerfulness and encouragement. And, uh, you know, there's this saying, I came from Texas, it was in Texas for 10 years, and I think we should adopt it. I think it's a really good saying, but it, there's a saying called all y'all all y'all. And I love that saying. You know, you'd be talking to somebody and they'd be like, blah, 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 all y'all, you know? And what does that mean? That sounds like another language. It is another language. <laughs> it means everybody, all y'all. <laughs> and God has called South Lynn's Chino to an all y'all kind of faith. He's called us to an all y'all kind of community. He's called us the good, look it, let me tell you 
something very true and that I, I know without a shadow of I have a conviction that God has called this church to good works. He's prepared them for us. But I also know this, that that good works that he's prepared for us includes in all y'all. It includes every single person strengthening their hands and stepping in and saying, I'm in. I'm going to give myself to the all y'all. That's who we're called to be as a church. Um, let's see. What else can be learned from this portion of Scripture? I, I mean, I, I want to say this. There, there's no such thing as professional Christians. I know that like, if, if you're sitting here this morning, you may feel like I'm the professional and you're the less professional or you're the, you know, whatever. I don't know what the word is for that, but uh, Kelly's the professional Christian. He's, he's a pastor in the church. And so it's his job to do this. It's his job to try to get me to get involved. Well, yeah, it is my job. That's what God's called me as a leader. But you don't see in the Bible... Is, a professional Christian. You just see Christians. You just see people. If you are a citizen of this nation, there's no such thing as a professional citizen. There's not like the separation where, well, I'm a citizen, but then that's a professional citizen, and the professional citizen does all the things that a citizen would do. I'm not a professional citizen, so I don't participate in being in a citizenship. No, it's an all y'all. Yeah, you guys catching that, right? You guys are liking that. All right. So if we understand that there is a strengthening of our hands to do. And we understand that our role in that is to one, look at our hearts and go, okay, where am I, where am I this morning? Am I in, you know? I, I call this home, church my home. Yeah, okay, if that's true, how are you strengthening your own hands and how are you strengthening those around you? And number two, do you have an all-in understanding? Do you understand that there's a good work that's been prepared for us and you're part of that? And then you got to ask yourself the question, well, what is the good work? What is the good work that God's called us to? What is, what is this thing that Kelly's encouraging us this morning? Um, and I would say this, or let's get, let's get Pentecostal again. You guys ready? Let's do this. Let's say restore, rebuild, revive. Can you say that? Restore, rebuild, revive. Kelly, what's the good work that God has called us, this church right here in this place, in this little point of the earth. What has he called us? It's, it's what? Those three things to what? Restore. That's the good work that God's called us to as a church. How does that look? Well, thankfully for the book of Nehemiah, I love this picture of what they're doing here. They're, they're, they're doing two things, these people. They're rebuilding the walls and they're rebuilding the gates. Nehemiah comes back, he hears a report. Ezra before him, he's built the temple. There's worship happening in, in the city of Jerusalem. The temple's being built. But Nehemiah hears from his brother, brother, listen, the temple's happening. I know you assumed everything was going smoothly. I know you assumed everything was just kind of going to like truck along and all this kind of stuff. But we, we're, we're in bad shape. And let me just give you a report of what's happening. Actually, the walls 
have not been built. They're, they're, they're busted down. They've been burned and the gates aren't existent. The gates are gone. The gates have been burned. And Nehemiah feels this heavy and he's, oh God, restore honor, restore dignity to my people so that you could be glorified. And so the nation comes back, Nehemiah rallies the people and they start to rebuild the walls and the gates. So I, wanna, I want us to look this morning at what the walls and the gates uh, represent. If, this, if we take it into restore, rebuild, and revive, how does that uh, help us with the walls and gates? Well, if we understand what the walls are, that this is what the walls are. They are protection, right? You build, it, it'd be like, I mean, this is like a sore subject, but it's like, we're going to build a wall, right? It's going to be huge. That's my best. I can't, that's my best. It's going to be the best wall that has ever been built. The, uh, I will be the, okay, sorry. But they're building a wall for their protection. And this protection, how, do, how does protection, like, we don't need a wall around our building. I mean, we got teenagers across the street sometimes. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> Doing shenanigans in the parking lot and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the kind of wall that the church needs. The, wall need, the church needs a wall that protects us. How does that protect us? One, our doctrine, our theology, what we believe. This is why we preach the gospel on Sunday mornings. We don't preach about how to become a better person. We don't preach about how to become the best version of yourself. We don't preach about these three steps on how to become successful in life. That stuff's junk. What we preach is the word of God and we preach his truth because it lets us see the truth of who he is and who we are in relationship to him. So our protection includes doctrine, theology, but it's also culture of who we are as a church. I mean, we've been going for almost two years, but we are still establishing culture in this church. We're still saying, okay, this is who we are. This is, we're a family. We're, we're a family who wants to have fun. We're, we're, we're kind of people who don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, some of you this morning might have walked in here, maybe visiting for the first time, and you're saying, this guy's wearing tennis shoes and a t-shirt, right? I usually wear like a button-down, that's my uniform, right? I usually have like a button-down shirt, and he's wearing jeans and stuff. You know, I, I'm wearing this because I'm honoring my kids today. They got this outfit for me for Father's Day. And I think we're, we're, we're a community that can hand, okay, I wasn't... We don't take ourselves too seriously. We, uh, we take Jesus seriously. We're building culture in this church. And when, when people come in, what do we want them to see? Jesus. Do we want them to like, go, wow, your new bathrooms look so amazing, which they do, right? <laughs> do we want them to see the, the new lattice on the, not lattice, but the, you know, the wood on the front and the, tr the cross down? Totally, that's cool stuff, but that is just like, external. We want them to experience the culture of what a healthy church is. We want them to experience a family and a community. And they are not going to experience that if we're all doing our own thing. We're here to rebuild the protection of this church. The protection is who we are. So it's culture and it's the community. But then what are the gates? We're rebuilding the gates. You guys, I'm running out of time. Look at this. Okay. We're running out of time. The gates is, it's the mission. And what happens in a gate? Well, people go out. 
There's two doors right there. So if we could say these are the gates of this building is the doors behind you guys right there. I've seen it in churches, or you may have been a part of a church that has these little signs. They're kind of cheesy, but I think they're really good and good reminders. You are now entering the mission field, right? You, you drive out, you're in your car, you walk out the doors, and you're now entering the mission field because these are the gates. This door right here, that door right there. This is the, now, this, is this the mission field too? Totally. What we're doing right now, this is a mission field. But for us who call this church home and who are disciples of Jesus, we go out the gates and the mission is God has called us to be on mission. And again, there's no professional missionaries. <laughs> oh, there's no such thing. It's not my sole responsibility to be the missionary of Southlands Chino. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to be the missionaries. If you are relying on me to mission in this church alone, man, we're going to be sad. But it's also people coming in. People go out of a gate. And I know you know this, people come in a gate. Whoa, that's how those gates work. People come in. What do they experience when they come in? If someone lives a different lifestyle than we do, they smell a certain way, they look funky, whatever it is, it's not fitting into our mold, what are they experiencing when they come in here? Are we the kind of church that looks down our noses on somebody who doesn't have it all together? Or are we the kind of church that when they sit in here, we are saying, we want to make much of Jesus, we want them to experience in that. And we want to show them the love of Jesus, Right? So the good work is us doing a work among ourselves and it's doing a work outside of ourselves. We're people who are gathered and we're people who are scattered, right? We gather and we scatter and we do this all week. It's like, a, it's like look at this. It's like the church, this just came to me. This is gonna be really good. The church is like a breathing, living organism. Breathes in, we come and we gather and then we exhale. What do we exhale? The praises of our God. We exhale the glory of who our God is. We come together on Sundays and we celebrate. We, we say, man, this is what happened this week. God is so good. Let's celebrate that together. I got a job promotion. I got hired at this place. It looks like I'm getting hired here. That's amazing. Let's celebrate that. And then as we go out, we're, this is the glory of who our God is. We want people to experience that. All right, you guys Okay. So where do we do this? Oh, man. Where do we do this? Uh, if you have a Bible. Well, l- l- let's not turn there yet. I don't know. If you, if you were to continue to read in chapter 3, what you would see is this phrase over and over and over and over and over and over again. It would say, and next to him, so-and-so built blah, blah, blah. And next to them, these people built. And then next to them, these, these people built. And next to him, these people built. And then, by the way, next to these people who are building here, these people were building over here. And next to these guys who were building over here, these people were building over there. And those people that were building over here, there were some other people next to them who were building over here. And then over here, until you go all around the city, and there was next to him, next to him, next to him, you get the picture, right? Where do we build? We build next to each other. We build right next to each other. What does this require? It requires relationship. It requires community. What happens sometimes when you're building next to each other? 
gets a little crunchy, right? It gets a little like, dude, I'm working harder than you right now, bro. What's up, you know? It gets a little like, why are you building it that way? I don't like that color, bro, you know? Why, are you, well, hey, hey, you're, you're, the level's a little off there on their wall and you're messing up my part of the wall, man. Well, I don't like you the way you build. Well, nobody asked you if you like the way I build. <laughs> and it's reality, right? But the beautiful thing is that God provides us the grace in these relationships to what he's called us to. He doesn't call us to a mission and then say, I'm not going to give you the power to do it. He doesn't give us a call and then say, you figure it out on your own. And, and by the way, when it gets a little tough with each other, you can just sort it out yourselves. No, what he does is said, my grace is sufficient for you, even in those means when the time went to get a little crunchy with each other. And so we're able to say with conviction, because why Jesus is the center, we're based on Jesus, not on our own specific good works that God's called us to. It's on Jesus about making much of Jesus. And so we encourage one another, and then we go back to strengthening each other's hands. Hey, man, I noticed, I think you're getting a little off there. I think the level is starting to go this way, and if we continue that, that's not going to be helpful. And then what is the person who's building that way? They go, no. What they do is say, thank you so much for speaking truth and love to me. Help me. And then you, yeah, let me help you. Let me come next to you and help you build that wall the way it's supposed to be built, right? Where do we build? We build within the church. We build with one another. But where else do we build? Look at verse 23. Uh, it says this. After them, Benjamin and Hashub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, the son of Anahiah, repaired beside his house. So, y'all live in a house? Most people here live in a house, Right? And if you don't live in a house, you live somewhere. You live in an apartment. And you, li you live somewhere. And these guys are repairing where? Next to their house. So the mission that God's called us to is not just in these four walls. The mission that God has called us to is where we live. Do you know your neighbor's names? Do you know your neighbor's fears? Do you know what kind of food your neighbor likes? Do you know where your neighbor works? Do you know your neighbor's struggles? And this is not the guilt trip because I don't know all these things about every single one of my neighbors. But we're called to work where we live. And what's the good work? It's to make much of Jesus where we live. Not only that, look at uh, 3 verse 1. Uh, let's go back to this. Chapter 3 verse 1 says, Then Eliashib, El, uh, yep, that's the way you say it. The high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of the Hundred. Now, so if you know anything about the priests, where they were, their, their work was to priest, right? Their work was to make sacrifice, all these things on behalf of the people and to God. And they're working near the sheep gate, which happens to be next to the temple. And so it's not just where we, uh, where we live, but it's also where we work. We're called to make much of Jesus where we work. Your coworkers, do you know your coworkers' fears? Do you know your coworkers' kids' names? Do you know their hopes and dreams? 
where are we? Number four. Did we talk about this? Where we work? Okay, put up the fourth one there. Okay. Where and when we don't want to. What does that mean? Look at verse 13. Uh, this is a fun one. And Hanan, the inhabitants of Zanoa, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors and bolts and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits of, of the wall as far as where? The dung gate. Woo! Man, I'm so excited to work over where it smells like poo-poo. The poo-poo work. Nobody's signing up for that one, right? But when God's called us to do this together, sometimes we happen to find ourselves near the dung gate. I'm not going to define what the dung gate is because we all have our different like things that we don't want to do. This is not a like blessing to me, you know, all that kind of, it doesn't matter. God's called us to work together no matter where we are, when we are, what we are, to work together. And there will be times where there's like, this is amazing. Oh, the, I'm guaranteeing this right now. There will be times in our future where we feel like, ha, oh, it's like tiptoe through, you know, the tiny Tim kind of stuff. And we're just like, oh, there's love in our eyes for one another and the bees are butterflies and all the kind of stuff. And then there's going to be times where it's like, this is like the dung gate. <laughs> Welcome to dung gate church, right? What do we do in those seasons? We work together hard and we say, God, thank you for the call that you've given us. Thank you for the good work. And this feels like Dungate time, but I'm going to strengthen my hands. Right? Okay. Now look at this. Go back to verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but here it is. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Unfortunately, in this room this morning, there are some of us in our hearts, there's a lawyer that's going off and ringing a bell and saying, I object. And the unfortunate thing is not everyone will participate in the good work that God has called us to. The unfortunate thing is there may be some of that in our heart this morning and say, man, that's not my job. That's not, I, I saw a, uh, what do you call those things on Instagram? A meme. If you don't know what a meme is, it's basically like a picture with some words that are kind of funny that explain the situation. And it, and it said, uh, the epitome of not my job. And it was a picture of a, of a road and someone came along with, they were painting the edges of the road with a white line and there happened to be a stick that fell on the road. And what the painter did is they painted like this and went around the stick and then just painted the straight line, right? And it said, the epitome of not my job. This person couldn't even like stop the painting thing, move the stick, and then continue to do a straight line. And what happens sometimes is we get this attitude in church and go, that's not my job. That's not my job. I'm not paid by the church. That's, that's Ryan's job. That's Kelly's, that, that's not my job. I'm not going to, like, I don't need to, I can be entertained. I'll sit back and, and make sure Isaiah and the band kind of entertain me, but it's not my job to participate. It's not my job to serve in the kids. It's not my job to serve on, et cetera, et cetera. We're all, you know, and, and this is not to put a guilt trip on anyone this morning. This is me as a pastor feeling the weight and the responsibility saying, guys, God has called us 
And the word us is us. It's all y'all. And God forbid that we do what the Tekoites nobles were like, not my job, I'm a noble. You know who I am? I'm a big deal. Why are you asking me to repair? You know what I love about this? If you continue reading chapter 3, perfumers were building the wall. Jewelers were building the wall. Priests with little soft hands rebuilding the wall. I am no construction worker. I don't, I have like zero talent in that area. We, you know, we, we put up the wood and the bathroom. We, we hired someone to do that. <laughs> and if we carry that attitude into the church, we do what the nobles did here and go, it's not my job. But perfumers, I don't know how hard it is physically to create perfume. I'm sure, though, building a wall is a lot harder. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It says so-and-so and his daughters next to him rebuilding the wall. And I hope you're getting the picture that there's no such thing as a us and them in the church. There is no such thing as the professionals and the laymen. There is no such thing as the pastor up there and the people down here. I'm not up there. Jesus is up there. My job is to say, guys, let's run. There's, there's a mountain, let's charge it. And if you guys aren't running with us, you're being a Tekoite noble. Here's the beautiful thing, and I'll end with this. There is one person who stooped when he didn't have to. There's one who was worthy, so worthy, that he could have chosen and said, not my job. It's not my responsibility. It's not my role. I I am meant to rule. I am meant to look down upon because I am perfect and I am holy and there's no one like me. And how dare anyone think that I should stoop to this level? And that person we all know is Jesus. Stooped. And if you think that word is blasphemous to speak about Christ, then you misunderstand our faith. Because what Jesus did is he humbled himself. How does God humble himself? It's an antithesis of what we think about God. But Jesus stooped. It says this in Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 8. Paul is encouraging the church very similarly what I'm trying to encourage us this morning. He's saying, hey guys, remember who you are. So, out of this encouragement, remember if there is any encouragement in Christ, and these are like rhetorical, like these should be givens, right? There is encouragement, guys. But if there is, and you understand it, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Be in unity. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry 
or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is like the strengthening of your hands, right? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in who? In Christ Jesus, who did what? Though he was in the form of God, perfect, holy, untouchable, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, even death that was reserved for scum. The most humiliating way to die, Jesus allowed himself. And what he did is he stooped. Why? Because he knew that today, June 16th, 2019, there would be a sermon preached to a group of people in Chino, California, about coming together and being one people. And he afforded us the grace to be able to do what he called us to do because he went before us and he stooped. He went before us and he gave us that grace through his death and resurrection. Will you stand with me this morning?